Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. What do you do when you have an incredible plan, you're progressing well on that plan, and everything turns upside down? In sales, we can often be faced with this same dilemma. What we do today is working well, and then tomorrow, it just doesn't work. We could have a deal progressing awesome. The stakeholder, the prospect, they're telling us everything we want to hear. They're doing everything that's telling us they're going to buy, and then all of a sudden, they ghost us. That's what this episode's all about. We're going to talk to Neil Twa, and Neil Twa has built an incredible business, an e-commerce business, and you might be saying, e-commerce, what the hell has e-commerce got to do with what I have to do? I'm in B2B sales, I'm in B2C sales, but what, what's e-commerce? But it's the story that Neil is going to share with us about his journey in business, his journey in sales, and how he's turned a negative into an incredible positive. And I think for all of us is that sales has been, the emotional ride of selling has been incredibly interesting. I think, you know, pre the pandemic, there was always the up and down. Post the pandemic, it's kind of been up, down, left, right. And, you know, things have been changing rapidly. Revenue operations is much more than words in a job title. It's a movement that is transforming sales, marketing, and customer success teams into high-performing revenue drivers. RingDNA is a recognized Gartner cool vendor that makes RevOps possible by driving improved operational efficiency, and revenue capture from sales, marketing, and customer success. Trusted by the top companies across the globe, RingDNA offers a complete sales engagement, conversational intelligence, and revenue intelligence platform for Salesforce customers. Learn how we can transform your results at ringdna.com. That's ringdna.com. So this is a great episode where we're going to buckle in, we're going to really dive into you know, what is that mindset? What are some strategies that you can use when things don't go to plan to help you be the very best you can be? Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, pretty excited, man. I think any any conversation about funnels, buying process, um, what's required to get a person from a point of consideration to a point of purchase is a really interesting conversation to have. So I'm excited about today's convo. But before we get into it, we'd love to know a bit more about you and how you started in the world of selling. Yeah. Uh, you know, technology has been a big part of uh, selling for me in the background. I actually started consulting with a little uh, company in um, Midwest United States that basically uh, sold to the banking industry. And I learned how to you know sell technology into that banking industry. Uh, I had jumped out of college because I realized I was going to die an entrepreneurial death in college. <laughs> um, I'd gone to school on a full-ride music scholarship and I'd kind of failed out twice uh, from school and then realized that uh, you know, business, e-com, sales, marketing were going to be my forte. But at that point, you know, I really wanted to do what was going on with the internet. Really wanted to get out there and, frankly, um, dating myself a little bit. Uh, there wasn't any college <laughs> skills courses or tracks that would take me down that path, and so I had to go to the corporate world. And so, without a degree, I sold myself into a consulting firm. Uh, I told them I could program. Well, I learned how to program on the fly. Uh, because I really didn't know very well how to do that. But I taught myself how to do that on the fly. And then I convinced them that I should be a full-time employee. And then I became one of the uh, uh, 5,000 people to start Sprint Mobile at that time, which was pretty small. They just conglomerated people together and kind of said, hey, we're, we're starting this mobile division. We're going to sell mobile phones. And we're like, oh, okay. 
Um, <laughs> what's that about? So I got into that and uh, got to be pretty good at relationship-driven sales, uh, which was at this point myself. Um, I did some side hustling and stuff around building game servers. Uh, and the game server network ended up uh, basically allowing people to do multi-channel communications, kind of like this Zoom call. Uh, when games didn't have it built into the native application, you had to have some third-party service to talk in real time. Yep. And so we had this server that was running like 20 game servers so that people could do multiplayer gaming. And I kind of played that as my side hustle for a bit, uh, which was fun. And I was selling people into that online because they were wanting to talk to each other. So I just provided a need and fill in, you know, found a need and filled in. And it started to kind of work and, and turned into a pretty good size little side hustle. Um, with that experience and just being able to kind of understand the technology and business at that point enough to know uh, how to be dangerous. So I succeeded in a project with uh, Sprint. It was the first knowledge management system they ever deployed. Uh, and it was successful. And um, I was helping leading that. And IBM uh, came in to do a project and a couple of the executives saw what was happening. And they said, hey, we want to offer you a job. So they flew me to Armonk, New York. And then I went to work for IBM. It's been almost five years at IBM. Uh, working with some really smart people, um, realized very close, uh, a very simple saying at that point for me uh, in terms of sales, it really had to do with uh, it's who you know that gets you in and it's what you know that keeps you there. Uh, yeah. And selling with ethical practices, of course, uh, or selling myself at this case uh, in terms of what I knew how to do, it just became a second, um, you know, just second nature. Uh, yeah. to my development. And I spent almost five years working with some super smart double docs, MIT, you know, working on human machine language learning, like semantic search engines, um, and all kinds of really amazing things, um, and travel the world um, almost 300 days a year, which was tough, uh, but flying all over the place, which was fun. And then I realized that, you know, I wanted to do more with my life, right? And so I thought, hey, you know, I could sell things, let's go out and do my own thing. So I left in 2007 to start selling and uh, basically into management consulting I was teaching, you know, business and development and, uh, and helping with uh, knowledge and technology and made IBM a customer. One of my first customers was IBM, which is funny because uh, they ended up paying me like 10 times an hour what they were paying me <laughs> as an employee, yeah. uh, which is cool. Um, I didn't mind making, you know, 250 bucks an hour. Um, to, to work as a contractor, um, launched some really great products and projects with them, had a lot of fun, got involved in uh, oil and gas tech, sold myself into that. We started raising funds uh, for a really cool, amazing product that I'm actually patented on, uh, which is uh, device connectivity and gigabit speeds over uh, existing copper lines, like in the home or business. And it had to do yep. with demand grid elasticity, like being able to make a whole house in a building respond positively or negatively due to power grid conditions. And it had a lot of applications. And we were talking to AAP about 6 million homes in America that were going to get this. And I walked in on one Monday and realized my partners were better sellers than me because they had actually sold themselves into the concept that they could cook two books. Uh, with investor funds. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I got a lawyer and uh, basically uh, filed for bankruptcy uh, because oh, wow. I needed to have them indemnify me because they were messing with funds. And I knew that this was an SEC violation and I had to get out. And so I had them indemnify me. And in the process, the lawyers were like, well, you need to go bankrupt because that's the best way to protect yourself. And I'm like, well, crap. So I had to reinvent myself. And since I knew how yeah. to sail, I knew technology, I could do sales and stuff. I, I mean, my life became a funnel. So I started into affiliate marketing and doing mobile traffic when it was just spreadsheet uploads, right? Like into a server. And um, we were just throwing Hail Mary passes at, at uh, spreadsheets and just to see what would sell. And the funnel was real simple. It was an ad that went to a, a mobile app and they were paying us like two bucks to get an install. 
Uh, and we just made these little ads. It just it ended up being dating apps where we had, I had pretty good success. And all of a sudden, I was breaking 100 bucks a day and then 500 a day and then 750 a day and then 1,000 a day on profit. And I thought, oh my gosh. Um, like, this is insane. Like, I caught on to this. And I did that for a couple of years and really helped some companies with legions. And literally, it's the dumbest thing ever because I kind of fell into it. And it was, by definition, I guess, a funnel where I had an ad that ran to a mobile app and they installed yeah. it and they paid me. Um, the cheaper my traffic was, obviously, the more money I made. So <laughs> if I could get leads for 50 cents, then I'd get paid a buck 50 and it just churned and burned like yep. all day long. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, what a journey, right? So you've you've gone I haven't from- I have not got product yet. <laughs> <laughs> an incredible journey, right? You've gone from- sort a long of, journey, yeah. Um, working in high-end enterprise across yep. a variety of different sectors to right. getting to that point where- um, you had to start again and you used a word which I, I kind of want to focus on, reinvent yourself, because I think that particular word will resonate with a lot of people at the moment, mm-hmm. given that the last 18 months, we've all had to reinvent ourselves in some capacity. Changed, yeah. um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. So tell me a bit more about when you found yourself in that position where things were a bit tough and well, yeah, you had to completely change. What did you, like, how did you get to that point? Well, your back is against the wall for a moment. And I, I had heavily leveraged myself into this business. I'd put money into the patents. I'd invested in it. And I was really confident that we were going to land these contracts and just this was going to be a billion-dollar idea. And frankly, I still believe it is. Uh, it's just going to be the most amazing billion-dollar idea that no one's ever going to hear about. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, well, uh, when they steal the money, there's nothing left to pay anybody. Uh, and I, I learned a very tough life lesson about getting too invested in something and not being willing to see uh, it for what it was. And by reinventing myself, what I meant was uh, at that point, I had, you know, kind of lost the connections, the momentum for what I was doing. I was no longer in uh, that space and business and technology that I was in before. And it was kind of like, okay, now now what? What do I have that I could provide? What what need can I fill? What do I, what do I know? What can I do? Uh, and what can I sell? And what I started to recognize was there was an opportunity to sell those physical products. There was an opportunity for e-commerce. Yeah. Uh, and as I started to recognize that I had this capability to, to basically talk to people about you know dating apps, which I think is silly, but at the same time, I was like, I've never done that before, so why not? I'd gone from like high tech management to learning how to sell you know funding to learning how to develop products and patents. So why not learn how to just talk to people about dating? Yeah. Uh, and it seems sort of illogical, but okay, there it is. So that's, that went to physical products and helped some companies actually to follow that process to sell physical products. And then I realized, well, why, why can't I sell physical products too? It was more like a, a moment of epiphany. You could call it a reinventing, but it was more like happenstance. It was more mm. like, hey, I, I can kind of do this. This is having success. Now what do I do with it? Uh, and I got to talking to a friend of mine one night and he said, you know, I just listed some stuff for sale on Amazon. And this was in 2011. And I said, you can list stuff on Amazon. Like, what the heck? I didn't even know you could do that. He's like, yeah, there's this thing called Fulfilled by Amazon. And you put your product on there and they ship it to the customers and you make money. And I'm like, okay, uh, I didn't know you could do that. Show me what you're doing. And, and so I had been running all this traffic and stuff. And, and he was like, you know, if you could just keep doing that for the physical products on Amazon, I bet you could make it really successful. And I thought, okay. Uh, and then I realized that Amazon was basically just a big search engine. It was like the search engines we were developing for companies mm-hmm. in uh, IBM. And when I realized that, I realized it was his own traffic source that I didn't have to um, run paid traffic to it. I could use the traffic that was already there and the people who wanted to buy it and who were buying like crazy. It was a two-lane highway at that point. Uh, it's a seven-lane highway now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just started realizing if I could just get in front of that traffic, if the engine tells me what it wanted. And so I started to just play with the engine 
and just like spent hours for two two years literally throwing products at this search engine called amazon.com just to see what it would do how it would rank and and all of a sudden we were having these successes people were just buying products like crazy from us and started to realize that uh, I kind of reverse engineered it a bit because uh, I'd built these before and mm. it was a big search engine. So we started to just tell it what it wanted and it started to reward us. And all of a sudden we're like, holy crap, Yeah, um, we're going to be in e-commerce now. I just want to pause for a moment because I think, and this is an incredible story, right? But I want to, because we've spoken about that re-event and what I'm hearing you say is you took a time to kind of reflect and think about, well, what are you actually good at? Yep. How do I define a problem in the market and then That's use right. my skills to go and commercialize that opportunity? How do I get paid for yeah. something I know I can do? <laughs> and I think that's such a, you know, that's such the human spirit, right? We become very yes. resourceful when we've got our back against the wall. Correct. But would you classify yourself as a sales professional or more of a tech professional? You know, now uh, I look back and I would I would have said I'm more of a technologist once upon a time. And then I yeah. actually realized now that the, that was the belief that mechanics, button pushing and any sort of, you know, software and stuff would make me successful, would make me, uh, you know, a millionaire or whatever, and would make me, you know, run a business, uh, you know, uh, sort of an automated hands-off kind mm-hmm. of thing, which we all want sort of a passive way. And then I realized that uh, to some degree, I was actually better at um, marketing. I was actually better at the business. I was better at the relationship aspect. I was better at the communication side. I was better at connecting disjointed uh, and complex items and putting them together and realized that that was part that was really the summation of my history that yeah. I had worked myself into a position where I could be between conversations and I could bring two people, two parties together for a mutual win. I could just see two disparate things and bring them together and say, hey, here's a simple solution. Why don't we try that? Uh, And that process basically got to solving people's problems, which made it easier Mm -hmm. to sell people things. Um, Mm -hmm. When I stopped thinking about what it was in in it for me um, and what I was going to benefit from, and I started putting myself in their position and the other position of the person and started connecting them with what they needed, um, all of a sudden things started to turn around. I stopped thinking mm. about what I needed and started thinking about what others needed. You know, and I think I think that for me that resonates out of everything that you're saying. I mean, there's another, a number of things that are resonating for me, especially the fact that you've, you know, reinvented yourself. But I just love the thinking that goes behind it. You know, what is the problem? Stop thinking about me and how I can benefit and, and flip it to how can I help them? Um, and I think... You know, I think where, where I see a lot of sellers go wrong or a lot of companies go wrong is they're so focused on them and their features of what their product does that they're actually missing the mark and they're not connecting with the audience. And they might mm. have a really good product. They might have a incredible product. You know, I was coaching oh, some winner. people last night. Yep. Yeah, and they've got an incredible product, but they're pushing the product features and people don't want more product features. They want answers. No, they, they want, want features. Paper. They want the benefits. What's in it for me? They want to come from hell island to heaven island. How do you get me from hell island to heaven mm. island? And at the end of the <laughs> day, <good. laughs> it's really understanding what, yeah, what the customer difference is. You know, what is it that they're in for? If you under, if you yeah. double your understanding of the customer, you're going to double your income. Yeah. And if you spend that opportunity to learn uh, about why someone might need it, why it's going to save them time, be faster, cheaper, or easier. Uh, why it might benefit them, their family, um, other aspects of emotional charges that touch on that person's need, then you will obviously make yeah. it easier for them to say, okay, tell me more about how we work together, mm. uh, which changes from an attraction. 
Yeah, and, and I just want to talk about that because I think, you know, when you think about funnels and, and, and for most, I think for most, maybe maybe not for most, but I know me, I've certainly gone into a lot of funnels, right? I mean, the fact is I'm so intrigued by um, the funnel process, but there's an element where, mm-hmm. you know, really good converting funnels engage with the emotion and they, and they, and they, their message is so on point, it'll continue, it'll help people progress through the funnel. Um, it does. Talk, it really depends yeah. on what it is. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Me. And that's, that's what I want to, that's what I want to find out from you. Like given that you've got such expertise yeah. in building high converting funnels, I think this is not just relevant for consumer based sales. I think it's relevant for the whole sales ecosystem, right? Um, yeah. Talk to us about the psyche and the process that's required for people to move from that point of awareness, consideration, right to that point of decision and, and what process you go through when building out those processes. Well, I think for me, one of the things that was really, um, it was, it's been fascinating to watch, especially over the last year and a half, is there's a lot of people who are really missing and craving sort of that connection mm. uh, to people, to sincerity, to you know, a genuine conversation and not just a fancy sales pitch. Um, and so while my funnels have been more complex in the past, they've actually gotten more simple, uh, down to the fact where I just ask people a question. And when they raise their hand, if I have an opportunity to get in front of them, even on a text message conversation, uh, that's when I know I have them. If they've Mm -hmm. pre-qualified by, by actually receiving the opportunity to talk with me and I have the opportunity to be in their life for a moment, uh, then we have that relationship driven aspect and I just be real with them uh, and have a conversation with them. Uh, many times I'll say, Hey, it didn't even, you know, you're approachable. You, we, you were the one that messaged us. I thought I might heard from your sales team. And it's, it's a different level of approach and consultation sell as opposed to just a, Hey, here's my stuff, buy it. Um, yep. and you know, let me come over with all the objections and create this really powerful nine level deep funnel. That's going to take you through all these things when in actuality, most people aren't wanting that. In fact, if you go look at the statistics for direct mail right now, the highest demographic that is adopting direct mail right now is the millennial age. And if you think about it, they have been bombarded their entire lives with technology mm. phones and push, push, push. And they're actually the ones building and buying the fastest with the highest, uh, a turnover of sales and opportunity at the postcard level because they never get mail anymore. And so when people are sending them mail, they actually just love that opportunity to have something physical because they haven't touched it. So one major change is yes. people's activity to that. Even a simple funnel is just, hey, you know, would you like to have a conversation about this product? You know, text me uh, from a postcard. You're going to get sales, right? Because people are actually having that. And and you know, keeping it simple right? Um, how complex does it need to be? Uh, my sales funnel is a question that leads to an engagement. I don't have a bunch of fancy pages anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm typically selling at a higher price point anyways. I'm qualifying people very specifically within my avatar uh, to, to make sure that they're both qualified with aptitude, with funds, and with intent to understand the opportunity. And more importantly, I'm not willing to just say yes to everybody. I'm not willing to just take every person and handle every objection they have in order to convince them to buy from me. Uh, there's a very different level of performance in that than there is uh, just saying, hey, i got to close every person. Yeah. But I think, and again, I, I'm, I'm so aligned with that because what I'm hearing you say is you're, you're going in with a very specific mindset and that's a mindset of yeah. I'm not looking to convert the most people. I'm looking to help the most people. And potentially there's people that I just can't help. So you know what? I'm not going to sell to them just for the sake of selling to them. 
right? Um, and I resonate that is quite correct. With that. And you know what you'll find is, well, so you'll find that some of those people come back later and realize that they've missed an opportunity. At that point, yeah. their mindset shifts. And it's, a, it's two things that, that equal this in, in simple line items. It's fear and scarcity. If you have a fear or a scarcity attitude towards the sale, people can smell that. It's like blood in the water. Uh, you mm. think they can't pick up on it. You think they don't get the language. But the minute you come from a place of fear of losing the sale, or you come from a mindset of scarcity about what you might miss out on because you don't have this lead in front of you again, you don't actually see the abundance in the amount of people that are around you or the amount of money there is to be made and the amount of opportunity you have in front of you. And people can smell yeah. that, like fear and scarcity. In your opinion, is this a strategy that's associated with B2C or do you have you seen it adopted across both B2B and B2C from a, from a segmentation I've seen perspective? It adopted across both. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it predominantly lies on the B2B side for those who might be doing more business to business type of selling, um, yeah. especially reaching and getting you know difficulty in reaching certain leaders at certain times based on their availability. I'll tell you the number one way for me to reach people is text messages mm. um, and being able to communicate with them and the follow-up process is always very big. Um, certain code words, certain questions, uh, people forget the power of a simple question and they continually make statements to try to solve objections that probably aren't even the objection that person has. And instead of asking questions, they make statements. Uh, and none of us like to be approached by that way, right? We don't like somebody yeah. to come on and be like, hey, oh, you don't like the red one? How about the yellow one? Instead of understanding yeah. that it has nothing to do with the color at all. Um, yeah, but I think that's because you, the question lead, the question is about getting them into a conversation, right? And I think, um, again, I love the fact that you talk about text messaging and you talk about the offline conversation. And, you know, I've had the uh, privilege of working across both enterprise and, and consumer sales, uh, working with businesses that are spending, you know, two, three million dollars a month on lead gen, on inbound, and then finding that the highest converting opportunity you know, leads are the ones that get into the offline conversation um, as soon as they right. can, right? That's a very right. interesting, yep. um, it's been, it's, it's actually a very interesting report. And you see this time and time again, the leads that are spoken to earlier, as soon as, as, soon as they engage, have a higher propensity to convert. And it's been spun when you have that qualification. That's, yeah, absolutely. And when it gets down to the level of qualification, at least for what I'm selling, because I have a higher, you know, people are typically qualifying at fifty dollars to $100,000 uh, for the things that we're doing. Uh, so in that way, I typically won't uh, address the person on my face-to-face -face phone call until I know they're actually serious and they told me they're in and they just have some questions. So I don't even go to the phone call level anymore. Um, I actually give them a, a scripted document that basically tells them exactly how we're going to work together. Uh, yeah. Once they've qualified the initial questions, it's like, hey, you know what? Check out this, uh, you know, ugly doc for a second. Forgive me. I don't have a lot of time to go on fancy funnels and stuff because we're out busy helping our clients. So here's my ugly doc. Take a listen to it. If you're in, tell me you're in. And if you, you know, just have a few questions you want to address at the detail level, I'm happy to have a 15 minute phone call with you. But quite honestly, more often than not, I don't have the phone calls. I have people just tell yeah. me that they're in, um, and the first phone call they get is with my assistant. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you've got a really strong qualification process. You're really clear on your buyer persona, and you're able to direct them to where you, where they need to be in order to progress the conversation with you. So, you know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of learning in this. Really locking in, really understanding that avatar and having a good conversation. Yeah. And talk to me a bit about that. So how do you go about building your buyer personas and your avatars? You know, honestly, it, one of the things that, uh, 
you know, is, is really asking questions of my clients to understand why they are here. And even after the <laughs> fact, in, in the first few conversations we do have once they're in the consulting side, um, is just being point blank. Why did you buy from me versus mm. somebody else? What actually finally convinced you? And then just listening and then giving that feedback to the next clients uh, yeah. who might be considering working with us. And it really has a lot to do with listening. Uh, at the end of the day, because they will tell you everything they needed to know. I, you know, I resonated with you because you're a family man. I resonated with you because we have the same, you know, structure uh, of business background. I resonated with you because you do this or your business is doing that. Uh, I just listen to the answers, and then I'm able to basically speak to that. So a lot of it has to do with experience in the market. It has to do with the fact that we've been a seller for eight years. That we very much understand all the troubles that people are facing and have faced in this business. And when we're able to speak to that level uh, of daily, weekly, monthly activities of this business model that we do operate um, while we coach and mentor others in our 12-month program, uh, we are sellers ourselves, right? We manage accounts for our customers and we sell products and we have businesses for sale right now uh, that are going to market. Um, part of that just gets to, to really knowing uh, what the pros and cons are and what the opportunity looks like and being able to very succinctly tell them what they're going to face. Um, and when they hear that level of transparency, they know it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, 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 I'm really enjoying this conversation because I think, you know, again, we've broken it down. We're looking at mindset. Mindset's key. Um, then focusing on problems to so say, hey, uh, what is the problem that I can help someone solve? When you realize there's a problem out there you can help someone solve, you can commercialize that by helping them achieve something better. And then some tactics around really driving conversations with those particular buyers as they progress through each stage of the funnel. So tell me, where do you see the buying process break down from your, like from your expertise, having built these for a number of years, both from the sales side and the tech side? Where do buying processes broke down and what can people do to improve their buying process with their customers? You know, in my experience, the, the sales that break down with, say, qualified avatars that I know are a good fit for what we do um, and don't really join at the, at the time, it, it has a lot to do with timing and expectations, uh, at least on, on my part. Um, if someone is not quali if someone is qualified but doesn't start right now, it just meant time and didn't meet opportunity. Does that mean they're not a great lead now? No, it means they may come back in two or three months, and that's okay. Uh, a lot of times, it's time meets opportunity. Um, the second component of that is just a, a very clear and succinct understanding of what the game plan is. What actually is it that we're going to do together? And one of the things I very much focus on is when you join to do XYZ with us, when you are going to sign up for our software or you're going to sign up for our coaching, um, these are the things you're going to do. It's, there's a confidence level that comes with you sharing a plan with that person and saying, look, I know how you're going to get successful. And here's the one, two, three, ABC things mm. you're going to do to be successful because I know that this is going to work for you. And that, that level of confidence and knowledge that it's a repeatable game plan they just have to follow uh, gives people an, uh, an ability to overcome their objections. If they do not understand that, I uh, typically just missed some qualification point that they either weren't willing to share and confide with me because it wasn't the time that they didn't trust me at, uh, or they simply didn't know the question that they should be asking. And so they're yeah. a little bit lost at the moment. So at that point, it's a matter of um, being comfortable putting them on a follow-up and sending them some resources that give them the opportunity, some podcasts and videos, some other uh, mm -hmm. objectionable material that they might be able to look at and say, hey, you know what? Um, 
you know, we're in e-commerce. Did you know e-commerce? Here's a Forrester research from Bank of America that says, you know, there was 10 years of growth in the first three months of 2020. That's never happened. And oh, by the way, it's going to be $22 trillion in growth by 2040. Uh, well, I didn't actually know there, that mm. was, there was that much opportunity in the marketplace for e-com. Uh, so at really understanding what their objections are and getting them to a comfort level. If a lead and I do not match up at that time, it's typically because there is an objection of understanding an opportunity mm. that just hasn't met the right time yet. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's the fundamental element of selling, right? Is it's going to be both parties need to see value in the opportunity that sits in front of them. And there needs to be a, a clear amount of information that's being exchanged in order for some person to go from that yeah. point of, you know, consideration or awareness to that point of action. So I think articulate it correctly. Yeah. So I think that's fantastic. That's a fantastic sort of description of, of things that need to happen in the buying process for people to progress. So mate, before we sort of come to that point of uh, wrap up, I always ask my guests these questions um, or I try to, sometimes I forget because I get too wrapped up in the conversation, but again, I think this is, I'm really looking forward to your answer given, you know, you, you spent time on both sides of the, of, of the scale, but um, is sales in your opinion, an art or a science? That's a great question. Um, can I say both? <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot um, of people say it, both. Maybe a, I need to change that it, question. <laughs> well, okay. So let's, let's break it down real quick. If you don't mind me answering it this yeah. way. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I went to school on a full, minor, a full ride music scholarship, but I didn't tell you is that it was uh, predominantly jazz and classical. And between the two, you either have a, a specific science of the way that classical flows, you have to meet the crescendos, you have to meet the syncopation, you have a timing requirement, you're judged on it, it becomes part of the uh, value of the music to hit the mark within classical. Uh, jazz, on the other hand, is all improv, okay? It's what you feel at that time. You can change the notes, the syncopations, the rhythm. You can play around the music. You can create something different. You can create something unique. Uh, sales is like that. You're going to find whether or not you don't fit a particular process and it just doesn't work for you, uh, or you're going to figure out that you'd rather play jazz in your sales process and create something different and be willing to test more things. Uh, I don't think there's a right answer to that because I don't fit it. Don't think it fits the right person. You have to look at it from the angle of the person who's doing sales. People who are more strict and by the book and science are going to probably attract those kinds of people. What you need to look at is the opportunity to understand what is the hell they're failing right now mm. that you can work them out of. If your answer is by the science, then how do you make a one, two, three understanding for that person that resonates with that right brain? If they're left brain and they're th you know creative and they want to go on the fly, how do you create an abstract? word picture that says, hey, we're going to go over to this mountain and we're going to go gold mining over here because this is where the gold is and I'd rather not have you panning over in Dirt River uh, where you're not going to make any money. Let's go over here to Gold Mountain and you know, steal it all from smog. You're going to paint a word picture and an ideology with them uh, that's going to move them forward in understanding that while well, you're standing in hell, you and I are in hell together and, to, and together we're going to row this boat over to Gold Mountain uh, mm. where we're going to win together. Um, so again, it's, it's creativity in the conversation at the end of the day, uh, <laughs> to depend on art or science, um, whichever one you want to choose. I've seen them, I've seen them both work. Yeah. And that's a pretty great, that's a great response. I mean, you know, often hear, yeah, it's a bit of both. And I mean, I'd like to, you know, I like to look at it as, as sales for me, there's an art form, right? Um, yes, the science component is all the performance metrics and, and things that you can kind of you know, replicate in the sales process. But there's one thing that always changes and it's a person that you engage with, right? And I was reading a stat, I was looking at a stat on the buying journey and that, you know, 95% 
of decisions are made in the unconscious state of mind, right? And then people will justify the decision. Um, and so even if you try to look back and go, hey, when, when did I make a, a decision when I was in the subconscious state? Um, and it's because the mind's justifying. It's the logical part of the conscious mind's actually justifying the decision they're making. So you can never go back and find those times where you made decisions in, in, a, in a moment of emotion, right? So it's really interesting. So look, I've really enjoyed today's conversation and I think there's a lot of learning for sales professionals. Um, you know, when you recap this conversation, huge learning in that. I love that, you know, reinventing yourself. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. I just think the global pandemic, all it did was accelerate a whole lot of change and change is going to become something that we're just going to have to yeah, constantly deal with. So I think the fact that you reinvented yourself really focus on that problem and then commercialized um, your, your business based around that is, is a fantastic learning. So, mate, Neil, where can our listeners find and connect with you um, so that they can engage with you after this episode? Absolutely. If you want to talk about social media, you know, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn. I have a yep. very short last name, TWA. Uh, <laughs> so if you just search for me or you go to those platforms, you won't miss me. Just Google my name. You'll find me too. Uh, not hard to miss. If you want to check out Voltage Digital Marketing, which is my... We'll put you in the show notes. Yeah, you can go to voltagedm.com, check out that Amazon uh, system, as well as a video that explains a little bit more about what we do over there. All right, fantastic. And we'll put that information in the show notes. But uh, Neil, thanks very much for coming as a guest on the Sales IQ podcast. Um, and thanks for sharing your story. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 